Hello and welcome to the BitBlock Boom podcast. I'm your host, Gary Leland, producer of the BitBlock Boom Bitcoin Conference. And just for reference, I also produce the 4-Minute Bitcoin Podcast, available everywhere podcasts are available. Now, every August, I host the BitBlockBoom Bitcoin Conference in Dallas, Texas, with the help of many of my friends. If you are interested in Bitcoin, you really need to visit BitBlockBoom.com and take a look at the great speaker lineup and all the events that are going on around BitBlockBoom. You see, BitBlockBoom is a true Bitcoin conference, and I really mean a true Bitcoin conference. On this episode, I'm featuring a session from the 2020 BitBlock Boom Conference by Will Cole. Let's take a listen. BitBlock Boom! Well, I'll do my introduction. I'll just put the slides over here. Sorry, uh, I'm Will saying. Cole. Uh, I work at Unchained Capital. And uh, this is really exciting for me. Uh, I think it's been almost nine years now that uh, I've been interested in and paying attention to Bitcoin and this is my very first ever Bitcoin conference. I couldn't be happier to be here with y'all. And um, because it's my very first Bitcoin conference, I decided to make it really easy on myself and talk about uh, multisig. Because that's really easy to explain to a giant audience. And um, I, I, I've, I've heard before, I'm going to try to stay away from the uh, dreaded, you know, uh, 10 minute uh, uh, descriptions of XPubs. I'll spend like two minutes on it. But uh, my goal. Uh, how are we doing here? That's fine. Does anyone have any questions? Multisig, y'all got it? Okay, here we go. Uh, my goals today are that uh, I want to convince you that. A lot of you don't know very much about multisig, but it's very early in its adoption curve, and that you're not behind. And uh, I know that the uh, title of the talk was "The Future of Multisig." That's just because I was really, really late in being added to the speakers here. I think Parker Lewis sent in the title of my talk, and I was like, "No, I don't want to do that." So we're doing uh, the, the the present of multisig, and. Uh, I want to convince you that there's one very unintuitive thing about multisig that will save you a lot of headaches. And uh, it was certainly something that I wish I had known you know, two years ago when I started looking into this. And I also want to convince you that one of the benefits of multisig is the uh, idea that you can collaborate with other people with your information. And it is still safe and compatible with trust minimization in Bitcoin. So uh, instead of asking all of you to dox yourselves and do the thing that speakers do sometimes, which is you know raise your hand if I was going to say, uh, you know, single sig, raise your hand if you're just using single. That's not going to work. So instead, I did the next best thing and I put out a poll on Twitter. And um, the main thing to take away from this is that the good news is a lot of people have made the you know decision, and this is backed up by a lot of other research. This is not scientific after all that uh, a lot of people have made the decision to leave centralized exchanges. There's a lot of self-sovereign Bitcoin holders in this poll. The um, problem I see is that uh, there's not as many people using multisig as I think uh, should be. And I think that is mostly because people don't understand how it works. And further, I got into the DMs with people that were answering this poll, and they told me as much. So. The reasons people weren't, I asked them directly, why aren't you using multisig when we're in this conversation? And around 25% of the people I asked said 
they understand it, they kind of like it, but they haven't gotten around to it, right? There's a lot of inertia in the way that we store our Bitcoin where it is inconvenient or terrifying to move from something that we consider safe where nothing bad has happened to something new. That's about a quarter of the people. About 30% are people that just weren't convinced that they needed to use multi-sig. They were happy. This is usually people that were in a single-sig situation, whether it be hardware wallets, uh, paper wallets, something like that. And they claimed that they understood it, but didn't really think that they needed it. Then when I brought up you know, the, the types of scenarios we'll go through later, you know, some of them changed their mind on the, on the spot. And close to the majority, but not quite, um, just don't know how it works. And I would argue that many of the people that I ended up talking to in the first two buckets also didn't know how it works, or else they probably would have switched. So we're going to answer a lot of these questions on how it works. So to start out with, what is multisig actually protecting you from? Um, all of these things combined can be summed up in you know, one phrase. They're protecting you from single points of failure. The entire purpose of having multiple keys is to stop the idea that one mistake could lose all of your Bitcoin. Now, those central points of failure are very different. Are we on Wi-Fi? It's okay. You know, the dreaded wrench attack, right? It doesn't matter if uh, you know, you're carrying it on your phone or you're carrying it on a cold card. If someone comes up to you with a wrench or a gun, they're gonna get it from you, right? Uh, from trusted third parties like banks. Uh, this is a place where if they get your password that uh, you're potentially compromised just from that little bit of information leaking out or being stolen. And I think the most common one is just yourself. Just er human error, right? Uh, if you have one shot to keep something secure and it is secured in a single point of failure, it is very easy for you to be fallible and make a mistake. Are you all seeing what I'm seeing? Yeah. Oh, no one's manning the uh, slide. Just click X. Will We're you good. Will I define multi-sig? Yeah, I'm going to. Yeah, sort of. And if I don't, then you can ask the question at the end. I really failed. <laughs> um, while they're doing this, yeah, I'll give a quick uh, definition of multi-sig just, just to help out. Well, what I mean by multi-sig is um, sort of Bitcoin's native multi-sig. It's not something that you know, any company invented. It's native to the protocol, which allows you to use multiple private keys and by extension, multiple public keys to generate addresses that require multiple private keys to sign to spend from those addresses, right? So instead of having a single key uh, a single private key, public key generates the address. One private key can sign for that address and spend the money. You would need, you know, uh, pretty classic two of three, three of five, five of seven of those keys in order to spend the money. So let's talk about what you actually need inside of to, to set up a multi-sig wallet. You need private keys, like I just mentioned. This is typically a hardware wallet, something like the cold card I have up here. Trezor, Ledger, there's lots of them out there now. Uh, but you need more than one, right? Uh, so depending on what type of quorum you decide to choose, two of three, three of five, again, it could be, you know, you can really go nuts with this type of stuff, two of two. 
um, you need multiple of them for it to be multi-sig. That's the easy part. I think that's very intuitive for almost everyone who's uh, heard the word multi-sig before is that I'm going to need multiple things to sign, multiple private keys. What's not as intuitive is this second piece of information that you need. It are the extended public keys, the XPUBs, and, or pub keys, and BIP32 pads. Now that sounds kind of terrifying, but I promise, I promise, I promise, it'll, it'll, it'll make sense and it'll be easy. Um, but uh, one of the things that I want you to see as we, as we go through this is that the intuitive nature of private keys and knowing that you need multiple private keys in order to sign for an address um, is useless if you don't have this other information. What it basically means, if you don't have the XPUBs, if you don't have the BIP32 pass, you can't find the address and you don't know what you're signing for. And we'll go through those scenarios. An example of this, you know, I'll spend very little time on this, is, and I'm probably gonna piss off a lot of the programmers in the room here when I say this, but uh, trying to explain what a BIP32 path is, think of it like a file system, where you have one of these cold cards, right? Think of this as a private key generator. It's not something you hold your Bitcoin on, it's something that generates and stores your private keys. And think of a BIP32 path as kind of a file system to find that private key on these devices. So just like on you know, a Windows machine, you have C colon slash folder slash folder slash file name, that's kind of what a BIP32 path is doing for your hardware wallet. And it'll find your private key, which will drive public keys and extended public keys and those things combined make an address. So the first thing, the first best way I can think of describing it to you is like a file path. And that file path will eventually lead you down to the extended public keys. And those extended public keys are something you really need in multi-sig. Whether you're a two of three or a three of five or any other type of quorum, uh, you need the combination of all so if it's two of three, you need three. If it's three of five, you need five of all of the XPUBs in order to generate the addresses that you can ultimately sign for. Now, with that information we just talked about, private keys and sort of this wallet information which includes the 32 pass and, um, and XPUBs, you have to store this information. This is one of the things that I think people get hung up on the most. Um, when you compare this to a single SIG uh, situation, when you're trying to, you know, if any of you, I mean, most of you have probably, according to the poll, have probably moved over to a Trezor or a cold card or a ledger. And um, you have to think about where you're going to keep it. Where are you going to keep your hardware? Where are you going to keep your, uh, your backup seed? And in that scenario, you're thinking about securing two, or, or of having two secure locations. When you think about multi-SIG, Let's take a two or three example. We're gonna use two or three a lot here, so I'll stop saying that over and over. You have three private keys, you have three seed backups, and then you have the wallet info, that crucial wallet info that I mentioned before. And so if you look at this, just if you're completely self-sovereign, if you uh, are not collaborating with anyone else, you have seven or eight pieces of information to secure. The good news about that, the hard thing about that is that's seven secure locations. The good news about that is you don't really have the same sort of onus of security as you would in a single SIG situation. If you lose this and you lose the backup, you're done in a single SIG situation. 
And we'll go through a lot of scenarios where if you lose one piece of, these inf uh, of this information or if you're attacked and they only get one, then, um, then you are actually in okay state. But when you think about how to store this information, what I typically think of is you know, two, uh, two of three with you know, no, one, uh, no one collaborating with you. Yeah, you, you, know, you need you know, a, a, safety, uh, a safety deposit box. You need a place in your home. You need a place in your sister's home and your dad's home. Maybe uh, you know, if you're like me, the third apple tree on the left down a dirt road in Wyoming somewhere, you know, something like that. Uh, but if you're collaborating with someone, all of a sudden the onus on you drops. If you're two of three and you're still sovereign, you'll have two private keys. You'll have two seed backups in your wallet information. Now you're thinking about four, five secure locations, not, not seven or eight. Um, it's really subjective how you store this stuff. I get this question a lot. It depends on how much you have. It depends on what you're, you know, maybe the jurisdiction you're in, what type of threat vectors you're facing. But typically speaking, in a multi-sig situation, something in your home, something at a safety deposit box, something in a family member's home, uh, those types of places are uh, geographically separated by some degree and not easily, you know, guessed by any attacker. That's good enough. Um, and we'll see why that's good enough, where in multi-sig it might be good enough, but in single-sig it's not. I've mentioned collaboration a few times, and I want to expand on that just a little bit, because even if you look up multi-sig, if you're Googling it, and you land on the, on the uh, you know, sort of Bitcoin wiki page, you'll, you'll see that one of the first benefits of multi-sig that, um, that is mentioned is the ability to share information with other people to have other people help you secure your, um, your Bitcoin without giving up your own sovereignty over that Bitcoin. So if we think about the spectrum of how you could store your Bitcoin, on one hand, you have fully custodial uh, accounts. These lack transparency and control. This is keeping it on an exchange you know, uh, where you don't even have the keys. Um, and then all the way over to self-custody, maybe in a single SIG situation where um, you know, it kind of lacks redundancy and backups for uh, disaster type scenarios. I think about multi-sig, especially with collaboration, is kind of in the middle where you're still sovereign like you would be in a single-sig situation, but uh, you're not entirely on the hook for securing every single piece of that information. It, the collaborative nature of it augments multi-sig by making keys easier to manage and distribute and making all of that information, those seven, eight pieces that you need to save, making it simpler for you to do that as an individual. So this is the part where, when I was trying to learn about multi-sig a couple years ago, that uh, this is the way I wish it was described to me. Um, again, I'm not gonna break up redeem scripts and show you which part uh, coincide with pub keys and stuff like that. I just wanna walk you through very practical scenarios of what can happen in your multi-sig setup if things go wrong. So practical scenario number one, you have a two of three multi-sig, one key is compromised or lost. So what do you do in the single sig scenario? You just go to your backup, right? Multi-sig, not that different. If an attacker got one key, they can't spend, which is different from single sig, and they can't see the balance. So you don't lose the privacy you know, nature of the amount of Bitcoin that you have. If you just lose it, the, the repercussions of it, again, are pretty simple. You replace the key, and you sweep the funds into the new address that you have with the new three keys. 
Practical scenario number two, you lose two keys. Now, this could seem really bad <laughs> in a two or three scenario. However, uh, especially if an, if an attacker got uh, a hold of these. But um, in the attacking scenario, if, you, if they get two of your private keys in a two or three multi-sig, you would assume that they could just spend your Bitcoin. But they can't. So what's happening when they get your two private keys, as long as they don't have that wallet, that very crucial wallet information that I keep on talking about, they don't know where to find the Bitcoin. Uh, they have no idea what, what these keys are even for. They might even be looking at it and saying like, well, there's no Bitcoin on this. You know, it, it, they don't, might not even know it's a part of a multi-sig quorum. So when an attacker gets two of your keys, they can't do anything, which is kind of an unintuitive um, idea when you're thinking about how to store your Bitcoin with multi-sig. The other thing that they can't do, even with two keys, is you still don't lose privacy. They still can't see your balance. That's a, that's a really nice thing. On the loss side of things, if you lose two keys, you have backups, just like always, right? You can uh, go recover them, you replace those keys, you sweep your funds into a new address, you're good to go. Let's try scenario number three. And this is where things get a little bit weirder. If uh, the wallet information, the BIP32 pads and XPUBs that I talked about, if an attacker gets a hold of that information, again, they can't spend. They don't have your private keys, so they can find the Bitcoin, they can find the address, and you do lose some privacy here because they can see the balance. However, they can't spend the coins. So lose one key, lose two keys, lose the wallet info in isolation, you're actually, I mean, you've given up something, but you're actually okay. You're not gonna lose the funds. Except in a loss scenario. If an attacker gets it, but you still have a copy of it, you know, you don't necessarily, necessarily, uh, you do not lose your Bitcoin. It is possible though, in a, in a straight up loss scenario, if you have one copy of that wallet information, you still have all your keys, but you've lost your BIP32 pass and you've lost your, um, your XPUBs, it is possible that you won't be able to find that address again, that you won't be able to generate that wallet and have something to sign for. This is one of those unintuitive parts of multi-sig that I think is really important for people to understand, is that that wallet information is just as important as those private keys, and in some ways, in lost scenarios, it's even more important than the private keys, is you need to protect this, what we call external spin stuff, but uh, it's really the wallet configuration, the XPUBs and BIP32 pass, you have to store that very, very securely. Last scenario is um, thinking about collaboration, right? What if a collaborator goes rogue? Um, what if the person that you've entrusted with a piece of information in your uh, multi-sig quorum does something that you don't want them to do or just disappears and isn't available? Um, so typically in a collaboration scenario, what you're actually giving them is one of these two combinations. You're either giving them just a private key to hold, right? And in that case, if they went rogue and wanted to do something bad for you, bad to you, they can't spend your Bitcoin and they can't see the balance. If you give them the wallet information in addition to one, uh, one of your private keys, they can't spend your Bitcoin, but they could see the balance. But, so that's usually what you're doing when you're collaborating in a two of three uh, case where you're retaining sovereignty, whether it's an individual or a company, you're giving up at least one private key for them to secure on your behalf, which of which is pretty much useless for them to do anything but protect you with. And sometimes you might give them the 
wallet information in addition. On the loss side here, if the collaborator were to lose their stuff, let's call it just one private key in this scenario, exactly the same if you lost one. It's very easy, you replace the key, you sweep funds into the new quorum, and you're safe. So most of the scenarios that we went through are you know, going through stuff and saying, you're fine. Uh, it's pretty robust uh, against attacks and against loss. So how do you actually lose funds in a multi-sig, uh, uh, in a two of three multi-sig scenario? First way would be for an attacker to get two keys or two of your backups and also the wallet information. So that's a hell of a lot of information to lose, at least three pieces of information that should be geographically uh, separated. So if they got two of your private keys or their backups and the wallet information, they could find the addresses, they could find the Bitcoin, and they could sign for it. That's loss. The uh, attacker could get two keys or backups and corrupt a third party that had state that, you know, that could be a website that you're using or a product that you're using and uh, that that state meant that it knew about your wallet and therefore those private keys were enough to, so that would be something like, you know, infiltrating your account system in Unchained or something like that and also getting two private keys and also getting through the ver video verification or something like that, it still could happen, right? Um, it's still something for you to think about, um, but that would be a lost scenario. Um, now, outside of the attacking realm, what, what happens you know, if it's just human error? The human error required, required here would be to lose two, uh, lose two of your private keys and their backups, to lose one of the private keys and the backup and the wallet information. That, would, that You couldn't recreate that wallet information. Lose the wallet information and have no way to recover it with a collaborator. It's actually the, the closest thing that we get to a narrow use case of Bitcoin loss is losing that information. So, quick summary. Um, it's still really early for multisig, but uh, I hope what I've tried to do here is convince you that uh, it's much more robust than single sig uh, scenarios. You can retain self sovereignty, and that you should probably get off your ass and start looking at it a little bit. There's a lot of free things out there, there's a lot of companies doing this um, Electrum, Caravan, things like that. It's worth playing around with and uh, trying out. That if I didn't repeat it enough, that wallet information was the least intuitive thing for me that I wish people had talked to me about when I first started out, and that you should protect it like you would your private keys. It is very important. And that collaboration with other people in multisig is not just compatible with trust minimization, but it is also um, something that brings out sort of the native, it is a native feature of how Bitcoin works at the protocol level. Cool. Any questions? Yeah. So, listen, this isn't really a question, but I think this is very significant just to say this, and because it's very significant in the history of Bitcoin. Okay. I want to tell you my experience. Okay. Like, I want to tell you my experience using Caravan Multisig. And it's very significant because. I'll get to it. So for some, some, for some reason, people really like betting the infamous American hodl about what the price of Bitcoin will be at a certain date. I don't know why, because he's already won two of three bets, and I'm pretty sure he's going to win three of three. Okay, but how do you bet someone on Twitter? You don't know who they are. They're completely anonymous. 
So what we did is we used Caravan. <laughs> and American HODL decided to use me as the third key. Mm. And then American HODL had one key. And then the, the guy that, I don't know why, decided to bet American HODL had the second key. So it was so significant because I think for the first time in human history, you were able to make a bet completely anonymously without using a third party, without knowing the, the people's names, and it was just all seamless. And then the, when the date hit that, you know, of course, American Hoddle won the bet, if the, if the better didn't want to sign, he had me as the third party to sign. And we all did that using Caravan, which made that whole setting up that, that, setting up that whole multi-sig experience extremely easy. So I love what you guys are doing. Awesome. I'm glad I worked. <laughs> to be clear, we didn't build Caravan to become bookies or anything like that, but I'm glad it works for that use case. Yeah. Uh, thank you for your presentation. It was phenomenal. Um, one of the questions that I have is, especially given your background at a stack exchange and so forth, is there a best place where the discussions around these things are happening pre, for example, pre-product launch, right? Um, where the uh, forum or something like that where where people can go to for more resources oh yeah uh, I mean you you mentioned it uh, the Bitcoin stack exchange is phenomenal uh, I think it's this hidden I'm gonna show my old company now. Uh, <laughs> it's this little hidden gem in Bitcoin that I'm not sure everyone really knows about they might go to stack overflow and there's some Bitcoin questions there but everything's off-topic on stack overflow as you know and it gets closed in a second so the Bitcoin Stack Exchange is much more open and the level, uh, the quality of answers and the quality of people answering there is incredible. And a lot of the technical discussions are coming from people trying to build these products for the first time. So you get sort of an insight into how the technology works at a very, very low level, um, at a, at a, at, you know, before there's an obvious application for it. So I find the Bitcoin Stack Exchange to be incredible. I also pay attention to Bitcoin Optech. Um, one of the best newsletters out there. Uh, they do do some highlights of the Bitcoin Stack Exchange, but I can usually find out about something, uh, a conversation that I know is going to affect me in three, four months on Bitcoin. If I look back in my history, Bitcoin Optech was talking about it three or four months ago. Thank you. Hi, thank you. When people think about backing up C, their C, they think of like a steel device and they, you know, bury it or whatever. Is there anything like that for the wallet information? Any steel providers or are people just printing out their wallet information and storing it in like a safety deposit box? Yeah, that's kind of interesting. So like when I think about the wallet information, you know, it's, again, it's a personal choice of how you do this. So it's just, it's just three XPUB and two of three again. It's just three XPUBs and a bit 32 paths, right? So how can you do that? Like, some people might put it into an encrypted file on their computer, some people might do a password manager or something like that, because they're trying to calculate what are the repercussions of someone getting this from me. And the repercussions of someone getting that is they know the balance of it. Now, do they even know that it's yours when they get it? Like, you know, who knows? So there is privacy that you give up when you lose that information. I don't know of any, like, physical products like a crypto steel that is made to back up XPUBs and uh, Bit32 paths, but get creative, right? Like, it's, it's, a, it's a small amount of information, and, um, you know, you could do everything from putting it, I mean, you could, some of those uh, crypto steel type things, you can chisel stuff in. You can chisel this in just as easily as you can 24 words, right? Um, uh, so, I mean, I want to, you know, uh, you know, reiterate like how important the information is, but, you know, 
depending on how much money it's securing and things like that, you know, maybe a password manager is an okay place. You know, maybe an encrypted file on your computer is an okay place. Maybe printing it out, putting it into a safe is an okay place. Again, you have to make that determination for yourself, but not aware of a specific product. Cool, thank you. Okay, one of the biggest fears you have in life is losing your private keys, right? Mm -hmm. And up until this point, I was thinking multi-sig was just one more vulnerability because you don't know if you'll ever have geographic access to it, that kind of stuff. From your presentation, it's almost like you could publish one of your private keys on Twitter. Yeah, what are the repercussions? The Twitter mob can get a hold of that key and they can't do shit with it. But if I go to another country, I can log into Twitter and it, it's right there. And yeah. as long as I have the other keys, I mean, that... It's kind of weird, right? Yeah. Okay. Thank no, you. no you, you, you read it right. Hey, um, so something I hear a lot, uh, you know, when people are talking about multi-sig is that, you know, complexity is the enemy of security. Sure. And, um, you know, when you're talking about if you have, let's say, a two of three, you've got three keys and you've got three backups and you've got your wallet info, that's seven things to keep secure. And, and I understand you could lose some of them. Um, and if you bump that up to a three of five, you're up to 11 things to keep secure. Sure. I'm just wondering uh, if you could speak to how you guys think about, like, where to draw that line and when is, uh, you know, when is it? too complicated for your own good, potentially? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, I mean, obviously it's subjective, it's a personal preference. Um, and there are people that would never collaborate with anyone, that's fine, right? They're gonna have to store more information on their own if they're using multi-sig if they don't collaborate with anyone. Uh, it's where I made the personal determination when I saw stuff like Unchained and Casa and, and uh, products like that, that that seemed like a good balance some people might not, might not see that as a good balance. I think that um, uh, you have to look at your own personal situation. And really it comes down to how many secure locations can you secure, right? And you look, at, you look at what is reasonable for you in your life that you feel comfortable with. You think about the, the scenarios that I just walked through. Oh, I'm being played off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, I'll talk to you more about it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to the BitBlockBoom podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share the podcast with your friends. Make sure and take a look at this year's lineup of speakers at BitBlockBoom.com. And if you use the code COUSINS, that's C-O-U-S-I-N-S, when purchasing your conference tickets, you'll receive 30% off the price of a general admission ticket. I hope to meet you at next year's BitBlock Boom Conference in Dallas, Texas, and thanks for listening. Bit block boom.